This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. But first, we're going to talk about back to school. Now, June 1st is back to school day. There is an online petition circulating uh, online now from some nervous parents who say, what, what is the rush with this now? Why do we have to go back to school on June 1st? Maybe just cancel the rest of the school year instead of taking a risk. That's what they did in Ontario. They canceled the remainder of the school year. Have a listen to this. This is Premier John Horgan. I understand if parents or children are anxious about going back to classrooms, and I want to assure you that we would not be making these announcements today if we felt there was an undue risk to the health and well-being of the youngsters that are going into our schools or the, or the, the adults, the teachers and support staff that we so much depend on to care for our children throughout the day and give them the tools to be full participants in our society as they grow and then graduate from high school. All right, reassuring words there, but still a lot of nerves out there about back to school. Let's check in with Matt Westfall now. He is the president of the Surrey Teachers Association. Uh, he's a former lawyer, he's a teacher, he's an activist. I'm very pleased to welcome him back to the show. Hi, Matt. Hello, Mike. Thanks very much for having me on. Thank you for coming on. There's a, a petition circulating online from some parents who are nervous about back to school and thinking maybe we should just scrap the rest of the school year. What do you think from a teacher's perspective? I think from a teacher's perspective, I can say that, and I've heard from hundreds of teachers, literally, of my members, teachers are really concerned about returning to schools on June 1st for a few different reasons. The biggest one is health and safety. And they have so many questions about how it will actually be safe for them, other staff, and, of course, students. A related one is particularly teachers who have underlying medical conditions or are immunocompromised, or they have loved ones who are. And they worry about, are they going to be forced between, to choose between their livelihoods and the safety of themselves or people they love? And the final issue is about workload, because they've been, we've been working hard doing remote teaching. And how is that going to intersect with then integrating in-person instruction in schools? Right. So with all these concerns, people wonder, because when going back in June, what that really means is if you're a grade K to grade five, you'll be going seven or eight days. And if you're grade 6 to 12, there'll be three or maybe four days maximum. So they, they wonder sometimes what the educational value of that will be, given all of these other concerns. Okay. Is there concerns about cleaning of the schools? Like I've heard from some teachers, and we heard the Premier talk repeatedly about the deep cleaning of schools. The, the education minister the last few days has been talking about that as well. We are going to be cleaning all the surfaces in the schools. I know there are some schools that don't even have a full-time janitor. So I'm just wondering who's going to be doing all this cleaning. Well, absolutely. And, and that is a, bi- a big concern. When it comes to health and safety, my reaction to that is, show me. Show me how this is going to be safe. Show me how we're going to be able to meet these really stringent cleanliness standards when even at the best of times before COVID-19. And this is not a criticism of custodians at all. They work super hard, but we don't have yeah. enough of them. Not nearly enough. So how is it this actually going to work? That We've seen the standards, but people find it hard to square that with what they actually see in schools on a day-to-day basis before. Right. And of course, we will have rules around physical distancing in schools when schools reopen. But I wonder, Matt, about physical distancing for little kids. Like when you were talking 
kindergarten kids or grades one and two, really little, little, really young kids in elementary school? Can we really expect them to be social distancing? It's, I mean, I've talked to a lot of kindergarten teachers. They are struggling to see how that's going to work. Uh, because it's important to think about if you're picturing a class with rows of desks and you just have fewer of them, that's not really how a kindergarten classroom is. They have tables, they've got a carpet where they work on, there's other seating areas. So it's it's hard to see how that's going to work, but it's, kindergarten is play-based and it's collaborative. And, and then you add in the fact that kids that age, they will touch each other and touch the teacher and you can do your best to tell them not to, but that's what they do. So people are really concerned about, you know, how am I going to be able to deliver a program that's proper for these kids that they need and do it in a safe way? Let me read, Matt, let me read this tweet to you. This is posted on Twitter by Carrie Burkick, who is a, a former school trustee. I apologize. I mispronounced her name there. She, she tweets, I would really love to know the plan if someone in a school tests positive for COVID-19 or if a member of a household tests positive, will the school close? Will everyone in the school be fully informed? How will contact tracing work in a case like that? What do you think of those questions? Are those legitimate questions to be asking right now? They absolutely are legitimate questions because uh, it's, I think we're gonna, they're going to come up. They're not just theoretical ones. Uh, even before spring break in Surrey, there were a couple, there were several schools that did have COVID, COVID cases in the community, in family members, and so on, or people who were using the schools. So that's definitely going to have to be part of the plans for for how we deal with this. And we have to have really stringent protocols so that we can act quickly to be able to deal with cases that to prevent bigger outbreaks from happening. Yeah. I'm speaking to Matt Westfall. He is the president of the Surrey Teachers Association. Matt, what are you hearing from other teachers? We know that for parents, sending their kids back to school is optional they don't have to send their kids back to school if they are concerned about it. Do teachers have a similar choice or do they, do they have to show up for work? Teachers have not been given any choice on that. Yeah. Uh, unless people can establish an accommodation, a legal right to an accommodation, for example, if they're themselves vulnerable, there's still a lot of question marks about whether everyone who's going to be seeking that is going to get it. Because in Surrey, we'll have hundreds of people, guaranteed, who who are going to be saying, look, I can't go back. I need to be able to continue working remotely because I can do that safely. It is not safe for me or for my family for me to be back in the school. Right, like if they have an underlying health condition themselves, yeah. right? Uh, yes. Yeah. Uh, another issue is child care uh, mm-hmm. because districts are working on trying how to provide child care for people, all staff members who need it in order to be able to come back to working in schools. Uh, no details on that yet. It, and let alone, so that itself is a big challenge. And then if you add in the fact, say you're a Surrey teacher, but you live in Vancouver or Langley and your, child, your children attend there, well, where are they going to receive this child care? That's not really clear and needs to be worked out. Okay, what would you say to someone, and I'm, I'm sure there are people listening to their radios right now or wondering this, like, come on, teachers are getting paid a lot of money. There's a lot of other frontline workers who are putting their health on the line to go to work come on, it's time to go back to work. Let's go. Stop complaining. What would you say to that? I would say teachers have never stopped working. It's not a question of going back to work. Right away, right in spring break, people spent the spring break working on how are they going to get geared up so that they can totally transform how they work 
from in-person to then be able to deliver it remotely. So they are, they are working. And, and it's a question of whether work can be done safely in person or whether it can be also be done remotely as well. Right. Uh, so certainly a lot of teachers are saying, why don't we just continue this for now? Yes, we know we're going to have to go back to school at some point. Maybe we should wait until we know more about especially the impact of COVID-19 in children because they read the news, they see the stories about outbreaks in daycares or in other school systems. So that, that's what's leading to a lot of the concerns they Do have. You, what is your personal opinion on this, Matt? you believe that the schools should be remain shut until September? I, I need to know more before I can really answer that on the health and safety side. Because as I say, I, I've seen the standards, but I need to, to see how is it actually going to work at the district level, at the school level, so that people can be safe. Because having it on a piece of paper is one thing, but what is it actually going to be on the ground? And until that, so that's what I really need to see to know whether I can say that, yes, we need to be going back. I mean, of course, it's the government's decision. They're they're the ones who make that policy decision. But whether that's something I can support and say, yes, I endorse, I I don't know enough yet to be able to say that, honestly. All right. Welcome back. Let's talk about COVID-19 scams and ripoffs out there. There's a lot of them out there. Now, check this one out. A buddy of mine recently booked a vacation this is before the pandemic hit he booked a holiday on vrbo vacation rental by owner right very popular site sort of like airbnb for booking vacation rentals he booked on there had his vacation all set then the pandemic hit and of course he had to cancel now do you think he got a refund no no he did not get a refund now vrbo gave him a refund on his reservation fee, but that's it. The rest of the money was down the drain. Now he's fighting to get a refund, but the owner of the property listed on the VRBO website said there was a no, no, uh, a no refund policy on the booking. So therefore too bad so sad no refund for you is there a lot of this happening i know there are other covid scams out there got a great guest on it for you carla laird she is the manager of community and public relations for the better business bureau hi carla hey mike thanks for having me and hello to your listeners thanks a lot for doing this what do you think of that vrbo story there are you hearing similar complaints like that it's really really unfortunate um at least during the initial start of the pandemic we got a lot of um, calling from the public about the fact that you know they're cancelling, they, they had to make cancellations because of the pandemic, and now they're being um, introduced to these clauses that they probably didn't pay as much attention to when they were making the bookings, or they anticipated that there should be some at least compassion from renters or you know these Airbnb and 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 other um, renters to you know give them some form of leeway or some form of compassion under these circumstances but uh, everyone has been approaching it differently um we found that the site so for instance airbnb or vrbo what they tend to do is give a refund based on your you know that booking fee but they say based on the 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 requirements or the policies of that specific host that you've booked with you know your it's a hit or miss it could happen you could get your money back it depends on what you signed up for and it's really unfortunate because a lot of people are out thousands of dollars. Yeah, so it's all about the fine print, right? Like if you signed on and agreed to this vacation rental and the fine print says if you cancel, there's no refund, do you have any recourse at all there, even when there's a pandemic and it's not your fault? 
Right. So that's what it seems to be because a lot of the cases, you know, there is no um, there is no space for what happens if there's an act of God, you know, something that we did not right. anticipate happening at all. Or in the event, they say if there is an act of God situation, um, we, then you're on your own. We don't cover for that. You know, we're not responsible. And so that's why it's extremely careful, especially in these times that you read the fine print, because it does make the difference between a, a huge loss or no loss at all. So what would your advice? Just check out, check the fine print. Well, yeah, my advice would be, for for starters, you know, reach out to that host, see if there's a possibility yeah. where you can get some of, at least some of your money back. I mean, in these times, it's, we've been as at BBB encouraging businesses to exercise compassion and entrepreneurs to exercise compassion because the, the, the impact is not just being felt by them. Right. There are lots of people that are going to be out thousands of dollars. Like we even heard this morning where there's different businesses that are planning to add at COVID-19 service charges to their bills to make right. up for that loss. But what happens to consumers? You know, what's the other end of that spectrum like for them? So it needs to be balanced. And we expect businesses to take those things into consideration, especially in these times. Right. Some homeowners I've heard on Airbnb and VRBO, if they have a cancellation because of COVID-19, they are offering a credit. So they may say, OK, we understand you have to cancel because there's travel restrictions in place, but we will give you a credit that you can use later and you can maybe have your holiday when this whole nightmare is over. Right. But mm-hmm. but who but who knows when that is going to be? I mean, for a lot of people, and that's not, another thing. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of nobody's thinking about vacations right now. Anyway, that is a, that is a struggle. You guys do a great job there at the Better Business Bureau, uh, Laird, with um, tracking some of these scams. Tell me about some of the latest ones that are showing up on your your scam tracker there, like these fake parking tickets in Port Moody. You were telling me about what is this? Hap- what's happening there? Yes, so we received a report about um, someone receiving a, a ticket under Dash for uh, $75, but the information on the ticket just didn't match up to usual authentic t- tickets that have been issued by the city. So the ticket was for $75. The number on the ticket was correct, but all the other details on it seemed to be completely off. So the email address that they were telling you to reach out to for more information was very, very wrong. And so, you know, that raised a huge red flag. And so it's clearly another way that potential scammers or scammers, generally speaking, are trying to take advantage of people. And so it's really, really unfortunate because especially in a pandemic, you would think that, you know, this is the time when people come together, but actually it's more <laughs> the time when people try to take advantage of bad situations. And yeah. that's just one of the many examples. Yeah, I think for most people during an emergency like this, like you said, their better natures will kick in and we're all in this together. But if you're a scammer or a con artist, you might see it as an opportunity. Yes, for them, I've been saying, you know, looking at the the scam track reports, it literally looks like the perfect storm. You know, there's a chaos going on. People are um, highly emotional. They're making emotional decisions. They're scared. They're concerned. They're frustrated. All of the different things that would impact your 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 rationale your logical thinking and even your ability to 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 decipher real from fake so for instance with the puppy scams that's one of the newer um, more recent trends that we've been picking up we've received maybe 77 scam reports in maybe two months which is very very 
um, frequent or a, a huge increase based on the usual trends that we've been seeing for over the last couple of years. And it's because people are, are looking for an opportunity to brighten their day, you know, bring a new pet into the home. They have the time to do it now to break the pet in and have them um, acclimatized to their new environment. And right. scammers are capitalizing on that with sophisticated ads oh. and um, websites and pretty pictures of, of adorable pets. And as victims in Vernon are losing up to $450 on deposits for pets that don't exist. Oh, my goodness. Okay, so this is like you are going to buy a new puppy and you go online, you see beautiful photos and videos of a gorgeous, cute little puppy that you think you're going to get. And what what happens? They want the money up front, of course. And then, of course, there, there, there probably never was a puppy or the puppy in the photo is certainly not coming to your home. So it's. We've heard different cases, but the, the, yeah. the one that's very popular is where they literally just find random pictures of puppies online, create yeah. a wonderful advertisement or a website. You're legitimately searching for a puppy. You stumble onto their ad or onto their website. They have a gallery loaded with multiple pictures of different puppies. You think you, you're, you're getting the convenience of looking at different puppies from the convenience of your home. They, you reach out to them. They say, you know, the puppy's free. You just need to pay for shipping, for oh. the, the, the climatized crate, for vaccination, for even a COVID-19 vaccine. There's so oh. many different stories. And oh. even though you say to them, you know, there's a pandemic going on, how are you going to be able to ship the puppy to me right now? No, don't worry about it. We'll make a way. All you need to do is pay $450 for the deposit to get these things done by Western Union, by MoneyGram, by an interactive exchange, or even through a gift card. And, you know, we'll get we'll start the process and they usually just take your deposit or come up with more excuses why you need to pay more money. And eventually, once you when you once you do catch on to the scam, you've lost probably at least minimum over three hundred dollars already. Oh, oh, these scammers are terrible. <laughs> they're heartless. Yes. And um, that's just one oh. of many different things that they're doing right now. Imagine scamming you with pictures of a cute little puppy. That is that is like yeah, in, they're, they're, they go that low. <laughs> oh, they go low. They go low. These scammers. I mean, that is really low. Uh, and there's even oh. lower. There's lower too. <laughs> they go to the point where you know people who are already out of a job. They're scamming people looking for job opportunities. People who are trying to get benefits from the government. They're trying to scam them out of those benefits. They're trying to scam people who are working from home by, you know, trying to get access to their credit card information, tricking them into purchasing vaccines for COVID-19 over the phone through their credit card. It's absolutely chaotic. The pandemic has created the perfect storm for scammers. All right. Welcome back. Let's talk about landlord tenancy rules in British Columbia right now during this pandemic. As you may be aware, the B.C. government has banned evictions during the pandemic. You are not allowed to evict tenants except under some narrow circumstances during this pandemic. Now, think about this, though. If you have rented out your own home on a short term basis to a tenant that now stops paying the rent, doesn't want to leave your own home you are locked out of your own home in that situation my next guest is in that uh, situation right now gun yardley she is a landlord in in courtney bc hi gun thanks for doing this hi uh thank you for uh for doing this for us 
thank you for coming on. Look, let, tell me this story here now. I mean, this is incredible what you guys are going through here. Um, tell me about how you, you decided to rent out your home because you, you and your husband, I guess, were going to Mexico for a while. Is that the, was that the plan? Yes, we were going to Mexico for six months and we rented out our home for that term to a couple, uh, a retired couple, and um, they uh, paid the rent for the first couple of months and then they have not paid since December. And wow. We served them with an eviction notice on January the 15th and we did not get a hearing until March 26th, at which point we, of course, won the suit or the uh, he- at the hearing, and uh, we served them with an order of possession. And this was just about the same time that uh, that COVID was uh, announced, and right. uh, they refused to move out. So they are in arrears for rent for five months and uh, they actually haven't paid utilities for November, December. And uh, we, we, uh, we notified them that we would be back on the, on the end of the contract. Uh, we drove back from Mexico and they are refusing to leave. So they took advantage of um, us uh, in not paying the rent. Um, and then when the government announced this, um, we have no leg to stand on. Uh, I have contacted our MLA, uh, Residential Tenancy Board. I telephoned the Supreme Court to see what we could do. And uh, there's absolutely no help anywhere financially or um, try to sort this out. Okay, so, are- e- so even though you have a legal eviction notice... Because of the COVID-19 pandemic rules, is, is that the situation that the eviction notice is now unenforceable? That's right. Yeah, wow. it's unenforceable. So we can't access our home to get anything from there. So we arrived in our summer clothes here, and we have no way of entering uh, our home. You're, lo- you're basically out of your own home now. Where, We're where are you- locked out. You're locked out. Where are you guys living now? We rented a place. Okay. Oh so, man. Yeah, so, and we're paying the mortgage that uh, for the house that they are li- dependents are living in. Right. Right. When were you, when you were down in Mexico? Of course, this was all before the pandemic hit. When when you went down to Mexico, right? Right. Yeah. Okay. So when w- did you start getting a bad feeling about this? When I guess when the rent checks uh, started not to not show up. I guess yeah. you were you were still in Mexico at that point, I suppose, right? We were, yeah. we were, but we were keeping a close eye on payments. Okay, so when you stopped receiving the rent, of course, that was all before the pandemic as well. What was what was the explanation from your tenants? Why were they not paying the rent back then? I have no idea. Oh. Um, they just they come up with every excuse you can think of. I think these tenants have done this many many times before. Oh, so they're fully aware of the rules. Okay, they're, so so they're now more protected. Yeah, so now you're in a situation where you're locked out of your own home. Um, the tenants are refusing to leave. I mean, are they trying? Are they trying to find another place to live, or they they've got no That's money? What they or say, well, they should have money. They should have the rent money. They're both retired, uh-huh. and they have an income. So 
uh, they should have money to find a place to rent. Okay, what options are open to you here, Gunn? Uh, can you appeal this? I mean, I, I know that under the the existing rules, under this eviction ban, the government is saying you're not allowed to evict a tenant during this pandemic. However, there are exceptions, right? If there's an emergency situation, I, do, do you not qualify to have this uh, eviction notice uh, enforced? We can go to the su- Supreme Court and, um, well, first of all, we would have to hire a lawyer to do so, to fill out the paperwork. I talked to the Supreme Court and um, they said unless there was violence involved, uh, there was a very, very uh, uh, it was a difficult time getting um, uh, any assistance. Okay, so what do you got? You must be out a lot of money here. How much does this cost you? Uh, well, I guess um, it keeps mounting because we're renting here. And uh, we do have, uh, if the Supreme Court opens, we have to get a bailiff, which is about $1,200, plus a writ of possession, which is, I think, about $150. Uh, so I would say a couple of thousand at least. What about what about all the what about all that back rent? Yeah, well, that's another thing. So, how, how much are you out in in back uh, unpaid rent? Uh, it's got to be close to ten thousand now. Ten thousand dollars. So you're out ten thousand dollars on unpaid rent. Plus, you got to pay rent on your own place now to live. Yep. Okay. Yep. All right. And when, there is no support from the government at all. They have not offered anything. The uh, tenant can ask for assistance from the government, but they yeah. refuse to do so. That oh. way, we would at least get a little bit. Yeah, right, because I know that the government had, had brought in a, a, a relief program where you could get up to $500 a month in rental assistance, right? Right. But you're not receiving that money either? Nope. No. How come? Well, because the the, the tenant has to apply for it, oh. and then we follow up. Oh, so you cannot apply for the five hundred a month. The tenant has to apply. I understand that. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And why haven't they applied for the five? At least you'd get five hundred a month. At least that's something. If they applied for it, wouldn't it? Uh, yes, but it's very difficult to contact them because they ask us to f off. Oh. Uh, if we contact them at all. Okay. You mentioned that you had uh, gone to your local MLA. You've got you've gone to the government for help. What what has the government told you? What has your MLA told you? The MLA said go to the residential tenancy board. The uh-huh. residential tenancy board said go to the Supreme Court. Okay. <laughs> so what, what did the Supreme Court no say? <laughs> the Supreme Court said unless it's an urgent. Oh uh, man. Uh, situation where there is violence, yeah. there's a very, very slight chance that uh, we would be allowed to get into our home. Okay. What 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 kind of impact has this had on you and your your husband? Gun is this must this must be a stressful it's situation. Incredibly stressful. It's incredibly yeah. stressful, and it just um, the landlord really has no. There's no help offered to a landlord at all. Everything is in the renter's um, favor. Yeah. And I think we need to have a good look at the uh, the act, the residential tenancy agreement, and uh, provide some support for landlords. They don't want to rent anymore. You know, it's just s- stupid. This is only the second time we have rented out. 
mm. our home. And uh, our, you, our first experience was very positive. Do you just want your home back, or do you want do you want the unpaid rent too? I mean, at this point, you just want to get back into your own into your own I house. I want to get into our home. Yeah, and our you know all our things are there. We're in our seventies, and uh, you know we want to be able to use a blood pressure monitor that we have there, or you know. My husband has uh, medical problems, and uh, you know we 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 need our home. Okay, God, I hope you are able to get into your home again soon. Thank you for sharing the story with us today. Yeah, thank you. All right, welcome back as we continue talking about residential tenancy law in British Columbia during this pandemic. Now, as you may know, it is illegal to evict your tenant in British Columbia during this pandemic, except in some narrow circumstances. You heard my interview uh, there with Gun Yardley. She is a senior citizen. She lives in Courtney on Vancouver Island. She and her husband rented out their house for six months while they were in Mexico. Then the pandemic hit. Now they can't get rid of their tenants. The tenants are refusing to move out of their house. They had to rent another place to live as they uh, fight to get these tenants out of their home so they can get back in their house. Let's check in with Hunter Boucher now. He is the Director of Operations for Landlord BC. That's the main group representing landlords in the province. Hunter, thanks a lot for coming on. Hello. Hi. Thank you. Thanks for doing this. I know, you heard, I know you heard my interview there with Gun Yardley there. What do you think of that case? Well, it is, I think it's a, a definitely very unfortunate example of, of a situation that just doesn't really fit in, in the framework that we we're working under right now. Uh, based on, on you know, the ministerial order that's in place during this pandemic. Yeah, because the, the ministerial order, how does it work? Because it, it says you're not allowed to evict your tenants during, during the pandemic. And I, I think people un- can understand the, the rationale behind that. We're all going through tough times and you don't want to leave people homeless. But I don't know, there's some, there are some circumstances where you're still allowed to evict a tenant though, right? There are. And I mean, you know, I think the, the ministerial order itself is, is an example where uh, we see, I mean, the government reacting to a situation that was unprecedented. There's no roadmap on how to, how to resolve this and how to deal with residential tenancies in this very uncertain time. Uh, this is one of the situations where we have a kind of one solution fits all, but this situation doesn't fit in that mold. Okay, um, are, are you hearing from other landlords who have similar stories? They've got problem tenants they can't get rid of. Uh, we certainly have heard from other landlords uh, that have had, had similar types of situations. Not, a, not a, a large number of landlords, but it is something where there are people who are falling between those cracks. And they're, they're, it's definitely very, a very stressful time for, for those landlords um, and, and a very uncertain time. Right. And if you have a situation like this where a tenant is refusing to pay the rent and then and then in this in this circumstance, it appears the tenants didn't even apply for the the rent relief. Right. I mean, you could get this landlord could get five at least get five hundred bucks a month if they qualified for that rent relief. But the the land the tenant has to apply for the money, not the landlord. Correct. That is correct. So the rent relief program is meant for who, who have lost income due to COVID-19. And oh. in this situation, this has been a long-standing issue with these tenants. And we say long-standing in the context of unpaid rent, that's several months. Um, 
from what we know, they have not been paying rent since about December. Right, since uh, before then, the pandemic, right, right. Exactly. So yeah. so this is a bit of a more complex situation. And and in fact, you know, the the in this case, what the ministerial order actually says about about a situation like this is that the tenancy is supposed to come to an end. Yeah. And that order of possession that they have is supposed to be effective. But the next step in the process, which is where a landlord would apply for a writ of possession and hire a bailiff, that's where there's a bit of a bottleneck and there's a, there's a stop on that. Right, because because they had already secured a, a legal eviction notice, uh, but it's unenforceable now. It appears because of yeah, the, because at of the this time. I, so yeah. essentially, the you know the, the way it's written in the minister order is that this tenancy is technically ended under the law, and the tenant should leave. They should respect that. They're sure. they're not clearly, yeah. um, but it's the enforcement, and that's that's where a lot of these issues are are ending up is getting to that that next step. Which is enforcement through through a a bailiff. What do you think should be done here? To uh, obviously, we don't. There can be unfair situations on both sides. There can be a, a situation where the landlord is being victimized and where where the tenant is in the right as well. But when you have a dispute like this, where I I really feel for these people locked out of their own home, what kind of remedy do you think should be available to them? Well, I think I can. Uh, you know, we can we can probably spend all day talking about possible solutions to issues like this, clearly looking at things on a case-by-case basis is something that uh, is needed. And that's one of the, the, the strengths that the Residence Residency Act generally does in most cases. The Act itself allows arbitrators to decide on a case-by-case situation, but the, the emergence of, of COVID-19 clearly has, has kind of put a stop to that in many ways, as, as it has in, in many other aspects of our life. Right. For a lot of other, you mentioned that you've heard of similar situations with, with landlords in British Columbia. and In some cases, they appear to be a, a rare or a small number of cases, which is good. Can people appeal? Can they file an appeal with the residential tenancy branch? So, well, I mean, the, the option for appeal is generally there, depending on, on the situation. But it's not so much an issue of whether or not this can be appealed. They have an order of possession in this case, and in many other cases, landlords have, have obtained an order of possession. It's the enforcement of it. And the residence or tenancy branch and an arbitrator can't overturn the ministerial order in that aspect. So, so regardless of an appeal, the next step, which is enforcement through a bailiff, is just not an option at this time. This is a tough situation. Hunter, thank you for coming on to talk about it. Perfect. Thank you.